Father, it was great to see new faces last week, and uh, we're grateful to see you all here this morning. I really don't have any announcements this week. The only thing I just want to say is express and from myself and from the other elders our gratitude for your faithfulness during this season. I, I, I am just so grateful to the Lord um, and, and seeing so much unity and love and patience, especially when some people are coming up to the podium. And uh, we're grateful for that and just, you know, want to ensure to you that, that we are working diligently on the pastoral search process. And then just to encourage you, just do not grow faint um, praying. Pray for the elders. Pray for God's purposes and plans. And, and, and pray that we will patiently wait upon him in the process. Well, praise the Lord. And, you know, as, as uh, Golub, Darren, and I stepped into this role, I think all of us would agree that, um, that uh, you know, as Paul said, who, who is sufficient for these things? But it is God who makes us sufficient um, for the work. And so we are grateful to the congregation and um, grateful to the Lord for his sustaining hand. Okay, so this morning, um, and again, of course, we were here Easter Sunday, and if you couldn't help yourself and you were just flipping pages and you realized, wow, there's more in, in all the Gospels, that, 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 that there's so much content in, in the end of the Gospels, and as I looked at it, I thought about, you know, after the resurrection, I mean, of course, this is the pivotal moment. But Jesus appears and reveals himself over and over again in this season before he says he goes to the Father. So our text for this morning is John 21, 1 through 14. Would you stand with me and we'll read that text. And John begins, verse 1, chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple, whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, 
it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. You may be seated. Father, after our Easter Sunday celebration and our hearts are full with the hope of the gospel. Father, that you express your grace, your mercy, and your love through your son, Jesus Christ, and proving that he had authority over life and death, you raised him from the grave. Father, we remember again that at this moment we, in, we embark as humanity and individually as those who put faith in Christ on this new adventure. And we are so grateful that you promise you will never forsake us, you will never leave us. Father, we pray this morning that you would bless your word, that you would encourage our hearts to set out upon the journey to respond to your command, go. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So as we open our Bibles following the, the resurrection and we look at the context of the environment for the disciples, we see a number of things. One thing is the speed of the events. And I know we can sit down, we can open our Bible, we can read through it. Maybe we only read through 10 verses and the next day we read through 10 more verses. We can spread the story out quite a bit. But the reality is that the speed of the events in the last half, particularly in John's gospel, is very rapid. In a matter of four days, Jesus had gone from his triumphal entry into Jerusalem to the Passover meal and the Last Supper. Four days. Within a matter of a few more hours, Jesus would be betrayed by one of their very own, arrested, tried before Annas, Caiaphas, the full Sanhedrin, Pilate, Herod, and then finally sent back, condemned by Pilate, crucified and buried. Then after three days, the first witnesses would carry reports back to a skeptical group of disciples that the tomb was empty. Matthew, Mark, and Luke record the empty tomb witnesses' events. 
All four Gospels record Jesus' post-resurrection appearances. So this is clearly important material. This isn't filler at the tail end of the Gospel. And what can we observe? Well, we can observe some things very clearly right off the bat. One is that confusion absolutely prevailed. There, were, there was not clarity among the disciples. And we think of the disciples on the way to Emmaus. This is the afternoon of the resurrection. Two disciples stepping out on a seven-mile walk, which isn't a small thing. It's almost deciding to, let's go walk to close to Gilroy. The day of the resurrection. And it says, while they were talking and discussing together on this walk, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to him, to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we hoped, we had hoped, that he was the one to redeem Israel. So these disciples were in confusion. They, were, they, they, they did not expect to be in the position they were in. And in John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 9, he declares that no one understood the scriptures, that Jesus must rise from the dead. No one. So confusion prevailed and fear prevailed. We read in verse 19 of chapter 20 of John's gospel, on the evening of the first day of the week, the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And it makes sense when you think about it. They had just witnessed both the, the, the power of the entire religious establishment and, and the Roman government coming together in an unlikely venture to put to death the leader of their group. And it just seemed natural they would be next. The followers have to go too. Confusion prevailed, fear prevailed, and sorrow prevailed. This beautiful picture that's drawn of Mary who in devotion that her Lord has been crucified to her astonishment. How could this possibly be? And in her, her righteousness, she still obeys the law of Moses. They take time before the Sabbath to prepare all the spices and then go to the tomb. There was no expectation. There was no excitement. There was only sorrow. It says Mary stood there. You can just picture it. She didn't know what to do. She stood weeping outside the tomb. 
And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And there she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. So clearly no one expected Jesus to rise from the dead. Not Mary and the other women who went to the tomb, not the apostles who thought Mary was, they, they, they said she's just telling idle tales, not the disciples on the road to, to Emmaus, nor the disciples cowering behind locked doors. Yet, belief in Jesus' physical resurrection is the defining truth of the Christian faith. Listen to Paul's clear promise from Romans 10, 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Everything changed with the resurrection. And for many days, as we said, Jesus appeared to the disciples prior to the ascension. So what can we learn about those interactions? What can we learn about what Jesus was seeking to do and establish during that time. And I, I am confident this is a very small portion of the things that we can identify, but I think we can learn a lot from it. One, right off the bat, the scriptures they learned must and will be fulfilled. Luke 24, 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that's basically the entire scriptures, must be fulfilled. And that should, be, should bring great comfort to us. This is Jesus declaring to his disciples that everything God purposes and plans will and must be accomplished. That's the place that we can anchor our hope. That's the place that we can anchor our lives upon the promises that God gives us. John 14, 1 through 3 says, let, your, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And secondly, we can learn that even when we walk closely with the Lord, as the disciples did, who had for three years, we still can be slow to accept difficult things. And this is a sobering truth. As close as we think we walk with the Lord, when times get difficult, when times get tough, we can, we can have difficulty accepting that this is of the Lord. And we start questioning. We start questioning, is he really in charge? Does he really have a plan? And he tells, this is uh, again on the road to Emmaus, Jesus responding to them, he says, 
O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Or verse 6 and 7, He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. So there was doubt and confusion, but I love Peter's later perspective in his own letter regarding difficulty and trial. He says in chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. We've been through it. It's going to be okay. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though some strange thing were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. The lesson is expect the unexpected. And the amazing thing is that history's most glorious victory rose out of the world's most horrific event. Isn't that amazing to think? Thirdly, we gain strength and encouragement when we receive the resurrection in faith. Listen to the change in the tone, in the attitude, in the hearts of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus after Jesus revealed himself. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? To grasp those things by faith, to hold them as solid and true and fixed promises of God. Strengthen and encourage us. And later Thomas's reaction, not in doubt, poor guy, he'll never give up that, that title, Doubting Thomas Willie. But he didn't always doubt. John chapter 20, verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. He was strengthened. He was encouraged. Fourthly, we learn Jesus rose bodily from the grave. He was not a spirit. Luke 24, 36 As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do, your, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, see my feet, that it's I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. In Luke 24, 41, And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it before them. Why is this important? 
it's important because it, 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 it not only reminds us that Jesus will be forever fully human in glorified in a glorified body but it reminds us that he and we will forever be in the fellowship of body and eternity so his his victory his body raised from the dead from the dead is our hope that that is our future as well. And then, of course, number five, Jesus' resurrected body is not limited by the material world. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples, disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. I can't wait to have that power. And then six, Jesus' glorified body guarantees our glorified bodies. John 20, verse 14. Having said this, he turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. So there was something, the Bible doesn't really tell us what it is, but Jesus was, was eventually recognizable, but he wasn't initially expected in the, in, in the form that he was presented. He was in his glorified body, and the same will be for us. Over and over, it, over and over, it seems the disciples did not immediately recognize the resurrected Christ. And interestingly, later on, Paul, speaking to the Corinthian church, clarifies this quite a bit. Chapter 15, beginning in verse 42, he says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, I mean buried, is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As the man of dust, so also are those who are dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. That's the promise that we have. And Paul goes on, he says, just as we have been born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Isn't that glorious? Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what a great comfort this gives us. I can't help but think of our loved ones 
whose mortal bodies perished in faith will be raised imperishable and immortal. We will receive a glorified body just like Jesus. And then I don't know if you've ever thought about it. And it doesn't declare it emphatically. But many theologians believe that Jesus will ever will forever show his scars. And clearly throughout this period of the appearances following the resurrection of Christ, he is continually showing himself through his hands and his feet and his scars. He says in Luke 24:39, "See my hands and my feet that it is myself." Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Or John 20, 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And perhaps the clearest picture we get of this is if we look at the book of Revelation And the way the book of Revelation portrays the exalted Christ, it's continually as the sacrificial lamb. The the book makes clear, far from forgetting his suffering and shed blood, it is a glory beyond compare that his people forever celebrate him as the lamb who was slain, the sheep with scars in whose blood they have been washed and by his blood, once shed through his visible scars, he has conquered sin and death. This will be a perpetual reminder of his shed blood on our behalf that we will for eternity give him glory and thanks. Well, number eight, the resurrection purchased our justification. We talked a little bit about this last week. Paul tells us he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification, Romans 4.25. So when Jesus rose again, he was declared to be righteous. He was declared to be righteous because he rose from the grave, that, that sin and death could not hold him. And what's important to know is that he's, he's not just lacking any sin, but embodying holiness. The credit of Jesus' perfection outweighed the debt of our sins. That's quite a scale. And now the Christian is counted as righteous, not just as if we had never sinned, so much as just as if I had already lived a holier life. And without this wonderful truth, we will not fully grasp the joy of salvation. Jesus was our obedient substitute during his life, our punishment substitute in his death, and our rebirth substitute in his resurrection. 
Number nine, his resurrection proved he was the Christ, the Son of God. John 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Number 10, the resurrection gives us hope that goes beyond the grave. And, and we don't have to look very far to recognize that we live in a broken world, do we? Every Christian will at some point in their lives know the pain of grieving for a loved one. When Paul told us not to grieve as others do who have no hope, he did not mean that we would not experience sadness. But because Jesus conquered the grave, we have confidence that one day we too will rise and so meet both Jesus and our believing loved ones again. And this changes everything when we come face to face with death. Whether it's our own mortality or the loved ones we miss. And then 11, the resurrection provides Christians with the same life-giving force that raised Jesus from the dead. I'll be honest, I would be very disappointed. I would be grateful. But if simply my sins were forgiven and I remained where I was without the hope of eternity and glory, but the resurrection not only proved Jesus as the Son of God and his power over sin, but his ability to grant eternal life in the glory of heaven. It is through the resurrection that the last Adam became a life-giving spirit, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 45. And he tells us the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me. That's an amazing thing when you think about it. The Spirit of God that raised the crucified cross from the grave, opened the tomb, is the very same Spirit that he gives us to live this Christian life and forever. And this amazing power transforms, equips, and empowers us. It's a whole new dynamic. It's it's something that is sometimes so hard to grasp when we come up against new challenges or to serve the Lord faithfully. It seems overwhelming. It's overwhelming when we approach it from the standpoint of our own capacities and our own abilities and our own known limitations. But when we approach these things knowing that the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is a spirit that lives inside me, that empowers me to serve and follow Christ. Ephesians 1, 19 through 20. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And then 12... 
This is eye-opening. Without the resurrection, there would have been no church. I know that seems obvious, but it's not something we think about very often. After Jesus' arrest and death, the disciples were lost. There was, there was nobody there to start a church. They weren't gathering, they weren't organizing, they weren't planning, they weren't motivating, they weren't recruiting, they were cowering. They were helpless, afraid. Peter had denied Jesus whilst the rest ran away at the arrest. And it's hard to conceive that anything other than the resurrection of Jesus that would have led to this ragtail bunch of people sharing the message of Jesus in such a way that it grew into the largest religious movement ever known to man. Without their unwavering confidence in Jesus' resurrection, would the disciples have done any of it? Would they have risked everything, in many cases being killed for their faith, it is possible to believe that all the disciples would die for something they knew to be deliberate. It is impossible to believe that all the disciples would die for something they knew to be a deliberate hoax. Here's the amazing truth. The church did not create the resurrection stories. Instead, the resurrection created the church. Paul summarizes the importance of these events in this way. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 8. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So here we stand. The resurrection is complete. Jesus has risen. If you are still wavering in unbelief, I warn you, this offer of forgiveness of sins and eternal life comes with an expiration date. Paul is speaking to the men of Athens who loved to endlessly debate about religion and said this, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So my prayer is that to you, is that nothing would hinder you from asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior today. Let's pray.
Father, we look at these events from the distance of, of history and we just are in awe as we think of the men and women who experienced these events in real time and who, who not only wrote down these events and testimonies but then went on to literally sacrifice their life betting it on the fact that this, this was true and Jesus was who he said he was. Father, you tell us that we are saved by grace through faith and that is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. And we pray that if there is anyone here that is not asked Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. Father, we pray that you would grant that faith now. We give you thanks, Father, for the gift of your grace and your mercy in our lives. You are so patient. You are so kind with us. Father, we were reminded that you died for us when we were still enemies. That is, a, that is a love we are so grateful for, and yet it is so hard to fathom. But you are God. You are a great and glorious God. We give you thanks for all these things. In Christ's name I pray, amen. What would you stand for the receiving of a benediction? A little bit different pattern. Paul said to the Thessalonian church, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You are dismissed.